Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. It's good to be with everybody. We are going to be in Acts chapter 21. And before we pray and get into it, just by way of recap, um, Paul has been told by the Lord that he needs to get to Rome. And, um, you know, he's received several warnings that, that he needed to get to Rome, but not the way that he wanted to go, right? He, he wanted to go to Rome through Jerusalem because he wanted to visit with the brethren there. He wanted to be there for the day of Pentecost. He wanted to spend time with the believers there. And, um, and so he had it in his mind. He was vehement. He was going to go through Jerusalem. We talked about why that was a bad idea. Um, but uh, the Lord let him go in his own plan, uh, knowing that there was great risk associated with that. And so he gets to Jerusalem, uh, and they have a, a short season of fellowship where Paul gets to share with, uh, with the, the leaders in the Jewish church all the things that God has done in Asia Minor and throughout the world, really. And uh, that short season of joy and, 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 and sharing of the blessings and testimony of what God's done uh, there uh, turns into to praise and worship over what God's done in Jerusalem, but very quickly it turns into a conversation about the trouble that kind of awaits Paul in Jerusalem. And so James talks to Paul, and he's like, Paul, it's awesome, man. People have been getting saved here. This is about 30 years after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And, and in those 30 years, God's been doing all these amazing things in Jerusalem. And he's sharing these things with Paul. And he said, but by the way, uh, the Jews here are very nationalistic. And, and because of the Roman Empire and because of what's been going on here locally, politically, uh, they're very, very focused on the Jewish laws and traditions and I don't know how else to tell you this, Paul, but, but beyond that, there's been rumors that have been festering and going around. The gossip mill's been going, and they're actually pretty frustrated with you. And they're upset because they think that you've been teaching against the Mosaic Law. They think that you've been actively saying harsh things about Old Testament tradition and, and, and the feasts and the, and the things that, that God has given to us. They think you've been actively working against them. And with that, man, they don't really know what to do. They know that there's going to be problems for Paul as long as he's in Jerusalem. And so they come up with this plan. They come up with this scheme to have Paul support four Jewish uh, Christians who are going to go into the temple and cleanse after having taken a Nazarite vow. We've talked about the Nazarite vow a little bit. So probably about 30 days, these men haven't shaven. They, they, they haven't partake of anything from the vine. They've avoided dead bodies. Um, and uh, after this season that they've had s- separated for focusing on spiritual things and prayer and, and, and the Lord, they're going to go into the temple and they're going to they're cleanse and they're going to make sacrifice. And what they say is, okay, so our plan, our, our best plan is this. Paul, if you're going to hang out here, they've got to be convinced that you're for them. And so they've got to see you going into the temple worshiping. And so will you go with these guys who are, who are closing out their Nazarite vow? Would you sponsor them and promote that? And would you go spend a few days in the temple just worshiping with them so that all of the Jewish believers and the Jews around will see where you're at? And, and, and maybe they'll leave you alone, and, and at best, maybe they'll recognize that you're not against them, that you're for them. Have you guys, I don't know, especially for boys, uh, when you were young, did you ever have like, 
Did you ever come up with like a plan with your friends, like a scheme uh, that you knew no matter what, like in your heart of hearts, you knew that it wasn't going to work, but you were like dead set on doing it anyway? Like, like I always think about these dangerous dares, these things that, that, that like I remember being like 12 doing these things all the time. Like, do you think I can jump from here to there? And there's like jagged rocks beneath and like sharks and things below you. You're like, I, I think I can do it. I, I think I can do it. And it like never ends up, someone ends up with a broken arm. Or, like you come up with all these crazy ideas that you, you know they're just destined to fail you, but you convince yourself that it's going to work. That's like, that's like what this plan is. It's like a last ditch effort. It's like, okay, well... It probably isn't going to work, but what else are we going to do? Like, it's all that they, were, they, they had to rely on. And so Paul, with his heart towards the Jewish people and wanting to do what's right, agrees. And he goes into the temple, and he, and he helps these young men close out their Nazarite vow. And the problems get worse for Paul. And we're going to see really between now and the end of the book, just things get more and more complicated for him. And, and, and the hardship is coming. And I want to I point something out to us, and this is really the, the, the gist of today's message surrounds this idea, is that as long as we're doing ministry together, as long as we're serving the Lord, as long as we're doing this thing called church, I want you to know something. It's going to be really difficult. It's going to be hard. There are going to be people who mistreat us, there are going to be people that betray us. There are going to be people that teach false teachings. There are going to be people that we pour our lives into who simply walk away over things that don't even seem to make sense. And I know that there's a lot of young believers in the room, and I know there's a lot of, of, of idealism as it concerns the mission. I know that. And I don't ever want you to lose that idealism. Man, our faith is foolish. Like, what we believe is, is absolutely insane. And if you don't remain a little bit insane, then, then you're going you're gonna to grow weary. I mean, I believe God for crazy stuff. But I also have to be aware that along the way, as I pursue the Lord, that the mission and the ministry is going to be riddled with moments that are disappointing to me and, and even confusing. And as I look at my situation, I say to myself, I can't make sense of this, Lord. How did we get here? I, I can't even seem to, to tell the difference between right and left, up and down. Everything around me seems to not make sense in this moment. And we're going to have moments like that in ministry where we feel betrayed or where, where things happen or unfold in a way that we would have never anticipated. And so we're going to address that today. You know, when chaos ensues and we have to make sense of our situation... How do we deal with that? What do we do when we aren't sure what is and isn't true? And that's, that's what we're going to address today. Is everybody with me? This is going to be a, this is, there's, a lot, there's a lot to cover here. And so I need to know that you guys are with me, that you're in Acts chapter 21, that you're ready to take notes, and that you're ready to be with me over the next 45 minutes or so. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I need you. Uh, you know, I, I just have known over the, the last couple days that this, this message was just going to be difficult. And, um, and with that in mind, I, I realize, Lord, that no matter how I feel or how I think, 
or really how much energy or effort I put into to, to outlining that I can't communicate the things that you want communicated. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to be the one. You, all, you are always the one. <laughs> um, and, and you're going to have to be the one right now. Uh, because my, my tongue is like having a spasm and I can't think straight. And um, sometimes my heart goes before my head. And, um, and this, this message is just, it's touched me in a way that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sure how to communicate what you want communicated for these people today. And so, Lord, I just beg of you that you'd be present and that you'd use me and um, that you'd be glorified and that people would be convicted in all the ways that they need to be convicted. And that we would turn to you and trust you even for the hardest situations, like when things when things don't make sense and we feel like the knife is in our back, um, you're going to have to take us by the hand. And, and you're going ha- to have to do the, do the thing that only you can do. And so we turn to you for that. And we trust you. That you'd preserve the mission, that you'd preserve the ministry despite all of the chaos. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's start in verse 26. When Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of the purification until that an, uh, that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Okay, so he's in the temple and he's doing the thing, right? And he's anticipating, look, God, please let this work because I know I'm outside of my comfort zone. God, I know that, that you've said that these traditions and these laws, that they're, they're dead under, under grace, but but I'm going to meet these people where they're at and I'm going to go with them. And he goes into the temple and he does this this purification. And I want you to be reminded right here that it was always Paul's heart. Paul's heart was always to love the Jewish people. Always. I mean, that's why he's even in this situation. His heart was always towards the Jewish people, even even to the point that it was detrimental to him. Even to his own detriment, he loved these people. And I want you to see real quick, I want to point to the parallel that sometimes as ministers that we love people to our own detriment as well. Is there's family members and friends and people in this ministry that we pour our heart into and we pour our lives into and we're expecting that God's going to do something and then they let us down. And I want, to, I want to point out that, that Paul's heart is so towards the Jewish people that he expresses it most clearly in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, when he says, I say the truth in Christ. I, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. That is, towards the Jewish people who would not repent and towards, uh, turn towards the Messiah. And listen to what he says. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, I don't know how to explain that to you. It's, it's so profound and so powerful. I don't even know how to put this in words or summarize it, but essentially what Paul's saying here is that I'd be willing to bear hell for eternity. That the people that I love might know you. And that's crazy talk. That's, that's absolutely insane. 
And, and I can't even explain it to you. It's a, it's a mystery to me. But I'll tell you this. I think, I think that's Christ-like love. And yet, despite his love, it seems as though that love would never be reciprocated. No matter how hard he worked to win the Jewish people, he would always face their rejection. And we find that here in verse 27. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. And so Paul encounters something really unexpected here. He encounters Jewish Jewish believers, in other words, non-Christians, Jewish men and women that are in Jerusalem from the Asia Minor areas, the places where he'd been ministering, people that were familiar with the name Paul, familiar with his face. They'd seen him uh, uh, converting Jews towards Christianity. They watched him, and they couldn't really do anything about it because as long as they were in Grecian communities, they really had no authority, right? Those were Roman matters, and, and no matter how the Jews felt about it, when Paul would enter into their synagogue and walk about their community preaching the gospel, there wasn't much that they could do about that. But now that they were in Jerusalem, now that they were there for the, the, the Feast of Weeks or, the, or Pentecost, they're there to worship. They're there to, 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 to worship God in terms of the Old Testament economy. When they see Paul in the temple, they're riled up. And they think in this moment, this is their opportunity to expose him and get him in trouble. And Paul would have never seen this coming. In, in my mind, like he didn't anticipate this at all. These, these people that he'd encountered in Asia Minor had traveled to Jerusalem along with him for, for, for Pentecost. And the moment they saw him in the temple, they thought this is our opportunity to do something about all of the problems that he's been causing all over the world. Let's do something about it. And so they sound the alarm. And so just as Paul is in the temple doing his darndest to win the hearts of the Jews, he's interrupted by a mob of Jews from Asia ready to make accusations. And this is what they say. It says says about them. They stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. And I read that and I think to myself, man, how tough is that for Paul? There's nothing he can do. Even when he's trying his hardest, there's nothing he can do. He loves loves these people so much. He's doing everything he can to win them. And at the end of the day, that isn't enough. It's still not enough. Which leads us to our, our first key point. There's a danger in loving people. There's a danger in loving people. And the danger is that as long as we love imperfect people, we will occasionally be hurt by them. There are going to come times, as long as we devote ourselves to loving people, there are going to be, from time to time, people who don't reciprocate that love. And for lack of a, of a better term, they, they're going to stab you in the back. They're going to mistreat you. 
They're going to throw you away. They're going to make accusations against you. They're going, to, they're going to disappear in the middle of the night. And you will have no idea where they went. That's what happens to people who love in the name of Christ. And you might say to yourself, you might say, but I've been hurt. I mean, I've extended love to my friends, to family, to people I minister to, and they hurt me. I believed in that person. I was loyal to that person. And they, they still did me wrong. How could, how could I ever love like that again? How could I ever be vulnerable? How could I ever minister with my heart on my shoulder ever again, knowing that I'm just going to be hurt like that? But here's the question for you. What's the alternative? I mean, what's the alternative to to loving that way? So while it may be true that you were hurt, to run away is not the answer. Protecting your heart and guarding yourself against betrayal is not the answer. And to do so is actually a betrayal of Christ's love in you. See, the Spirit of Christ beckons us to risk everything to love people. Listen to what it says about Jesus Christ and his love for us. Romans 5.8 But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing that we would betray him, he took the cross. Knowing, knowing that we would only just hurt him and knowing that even day by day, you only do injustice by Jesus. Day by day, you were only just disloyal. He knew that, and he still chose to love. He still chose to give his life. 1 John 4, 9 says, And this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Sure. There's danger in letting people get close to us. But there's a greater danger in not letting people get close to us. There's a greater danger in us not letting people come into our lives and be vulnerable with them. And love them. And care for them. There's a greater danger there. So what's the risk? What's the risk? What's the risk of not letting people get close to me? I mean, ultimately, I think we all want to protect our hearts from pain. That's going to be our natural inclination. But in so doing, what's the real risk of doing that? See, the danger is that souls might not be saved. I mean, I don't think know anything any more vulnerable than being evangelical. Because that generally means building relationships with people that are lost that you don't even really know. And caring for them and and, and loving them and showing them a, a more perfect way with the likelihood, because that person doesn't even have the spirit in them, that they might hurt you, that they might speak ill of what you believe, they might throw you away in their own fear. There's nothing more vulnerable than that. Your love might get rejected in those situations, but... But to avoid it at, at risk that you might get hurt? No, see, the greater risk is that that person might go to hell. 
Not loving people. What's the danger of not getting close to people? The danger is that brethren might not grow. The churches might not be planted. The danger is that there, there might not be unity in our body. The way that there should be. The way God intended. The danger is that our care for others might be conditional. Which would ultimately cause great pain to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who unconditionally loves us. Remember, remember, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. <laughs> he gave up the throne room for you. He put on flesh for you. He lives sinlessly for you. He bore the cross for you. He, he, he carried it up that hill. He was spit upon. The, the beard was plucked from his face. He hung there, mocked by the people that he came to save. He bore hell for you. He rose again for you. His love is unconditional and ours is going to be conditional? What a slap in the face to our Savior. To hide ourselves away. To guard ourselves and protect ourselves and keep ourselves from being vulnerable with people. Listen to me. We're going to get hurt. We're going to be wronged. And that has to be okay. It has to be okay. Because the alternative is wickedness. The question is, will you love, your love be limited by your fear? Do you only extend it until you get hurt? Because if that's true, that's not Christ-like love. And we've got to really think about that in our ministry. Because here's the deal. And this is the thing that I've come to discover. Is that the healthier a body is, okay, the, the more easy it is to expose the problems within that body. In other words, the, the, the person that's in tune with their actual body, say they work out, they exercise, they eat well, they're much more likely to figure out when, when they're sick than a person who's unhealthy, right? A person who's out of shape, doesn't eat well. It takes them longer to realize, like, oh, this, this isn't just actually how I feel from day to day. I have the flu this week. Like, like I kind of feel gross all the time, and so I don't really know when I feel sick until it just, like, destroys me, right? But as someone who's in good health, in good shape, wickedness gets exposed, Right? And so the more that we know of Jesus Christ, the more that we're pursuing him, the more obvious it's going to be when there's hurt and harm in our body. And there's, there's, people are going to show their true face. And when that happens, we have to deal with that in love, knowing that it was always just our responsibility to be hurt. And to bear that, and to suffer that, and to be okay with it, and to love them despite it. 
to forgive them, to care for them, to hope the best for them, to expect the best for them, despite the fact that we get hurt. Does this make sense to everyone? So let's turn our attention to the mob. Okay, there's a mob here, right? And, you know, as, as we said in Acts chapter 19, remember the mob in Acts chapter 19 that was just like absolute chaos? This is a very similar situation. Mobs are chaotic. And in the midst of a mob, mistruths flourish, don't they? Look at verse 28. Crying out, this is what the mob was saying, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches, teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law. And this place, and, and, and further, brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. Look, this is an accusation that's just not true. Paul didn't take any Greeks into the temple. They took their assumptions because they saw Paul with Trophimus earlier on. They saw him with a Greek man, and they assumed that because he was with that Greek man that he was also bringing Greeks into the temple. It was just, it, their hearts betrayed them. <laughs> They assumed the worst because they wanted to assume the worst. That's how mobs work. Verse 29. For they had seen before him, or before with him in the city, Trophimus and Ephesian, who they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. So the Jews in Jerusalem are listening to these outsiders, okay? So the Jews local to Jerusalem are hearing these Jews from Asia, and they're listening to what they say. They're moved by their words because their hearts were already prepared to think the worst of Paul. It's very easy for lies to flourish in an environment like that. These were people who came to Jerusalem to, to grind their axe with Paul. They were determined to believe something evil about him, whether it was true or not, and they deceived the people with lies. And this is how false teaching and heresy thrives. This is how wolves prey on the flock, by spreading lies that seem like they could be true. You understand? Where people sound like they're speaking Bible speak. It sounds like they're saying biblical words. It sounds like they're saying spiritual things. But the heart of it is a presumption and a deception that they had received long before they even opened their mouths. And this is, how, this is how people fall prey. So here's key point number two. There's a danger in letting other people think for us. There's a danger in letting other people think for us. Look, this crowd in Jerusalem is proof that people often believe what they want to believe, rather than doing the hard work of finding out what is and isn't true. The prophet Isaiah says this, in, in uh, chapter 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we let others think for us, we will be susceptible to being led astray. You understand? We will be susceptible to lies. And listen, there's no shortage of liars. There's, there's no shortage of false teachers in 2021. You understand? And it's not, they're not just on YouTube. See, here's the thing. YouTube makes disciples. Pick, pick your heretic. They have 4,000 videos with 7 billion likes. And people are watching them. And people are disciples of those people. And those people go to church. 
And those people enter into our ministries. And those people don't abide in the traditions of God's word. They they choose to believe what they want to believe based on presumptions that they started before they ever hit click. Before they ever hit play. They were ready to have their ears tickled. They were ready to believe a lie before they even hit play on that video. And then they bring those presumptions into the body of Christ, well prepared to speak false truths. Now again, I'm not trying to speak abstractly. I want this to be super practical. This goes for everybody in the room. Listen to me. There are going to be people that you encounter that are going to mislead you. Whether they mean to or not. And whether it seems outright against Scripture or not, there are going to be people who think they have your best interest in mind, who seek to sift you. See, they're not concerned with you following Jesus Christ. They're not concerned with you abiding in the local church. They're not concerned with your discipleship. They're concerned with whether or not someone agrees with them. And that's what they're looking for. And all of us are susceptible to lies if we're not prepared in truth. See, Paul gives a very similar warning in Acts chapter 20, 29, where he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And see, not only that, but as we already said, the Bible suggests that in the last times there's going to be an increase in false teachers. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So knowing that there's deceptions, knowing that there's misleadings, knowing whether it's an intellectual misleading or an emotional misleading, how do we deal with confusion when it's on our front door? How, how do we make sense of confusing situations where we don't know what to think? What do we do when all the data is swirling around in our heart and mind and we don't know what to make sense? We don't know how to perceive this person or perceive this situation. We don't know what to do. How do we make sense of it? Oddly enough, it's a Roman captain that provides us with the best example. This guy's a lost man. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know, he doesn't know anything about Christianity. This man is going to provide us with an example of what to do. When it seems chaotic, when things don't seem to make sense. Verse 31. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them, and when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Right? Like, they saw these Roman soldiers and they're like, well, uh, we weren't doing anything. Right? Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and, and demanded whom he was and, 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 and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And, and when he could not know the certainty for the tumult... He commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came up upon the stairs, so it was, 
that he was born of the soldiers. In other words, they picked him up and they carried him in order to avoid the violent mob. For the multitude of the people followed after crying, away with him, which away with him just means kill him. They wanted to kill him. So as the, as the chief captain enters into our story, he's immediately confronted with the chaos of the crowd. This is what he, he's, he's also trying to make sense of his situation. You understand? And, and some cried one thing, and some cried another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, in other words, he couldn't find the truth through the chaos, he made a decision. He made a decision that when things get confusing, we've got to be careful who we're turning our ears to. So here's our next key point. There's a danger that we're going to fall prey to the loudest voice. There's a danger that we might fall prey to the loudest voice. Of all of the diversity of voices in our lives, in our world, we are all in danger of finding our answers from the voice closest to us. Or the smartest voice. Or the most passionate voice. Or the most enticing voice. And, and maybe that voice is a person outside. And maybe that voice is actually the voice in your head. But we're all in danger of picking the loudest one. The one that in the moment, in the chaos, just seems to make the most sense. Okay, wait, wait, wait. That, 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 that. I'm, I'm going to hold to that thing. Or maybe it's the person that's the smartest. It's like, well, I don't know what to think, and so that person's smart. I'll, I'll just listen to whatever they have to say. Or I don't know what to think, and, and, and well, so-and-so seems really passionate about that, and so maybe I'll listen to them. Or, or maybe it's because there's an, a, a relational bond, a, a relationship. You feel tied to this person, and so you're just like, well, my default is just to do, do and to hear and to believe whatever it is that they're saying. And we, we're all in danger of, of taking that bait. Not having actually done the hard work of finding out the truth in the midst of the chaos. The fact of the matter is, we can't make sense of chaos and confusion until we find silence from the, the crowd. So the first thing that the chief captain did was draw Paul away from the crowd and into the castle gates so that he could focus. See, as long as there was emotion and distraction and diverse thoughts and opinions swirling around, the captain couldn't make sense of what was going on. And so it was crucial, it was critical that he get away from the noise so that he could focus. And that's how we ought to handle ourselves when we're also confused. See, Psalm 64, too, says, Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. Well, why would we need to be hid from that? Because their voices are tempting. Their voices are strong. Their voices are difficult. Their voices are misleading. And I've got to get to a place where I'm silent before the Lord. When there's difficulty, hardship, or confusion in your life, before you can get any answers that make sense, the best thing you could do is determine where your focus belongs. Where does it belong? So the very first thing that we need to consider here, when we're talking about making sense of our situation, we, we've got to first decide that we're going to focus. 
When Paul wrote to the Colossians, when, when Paul wrote his letter to Colossae, the church at the time had found themselves in the midst of chaos and confusion where they were trying to make sense of a very difficult situation. See, Paul had left them what he thought in really great shape. Okay, when he left Colossae, he thought they were doing well. He had taught them, he discipled them, and yet this sect of believers called the Judaizers had come in and convinced them that they needed to be circumcised and that they needed to obey the laws and the traditions of, of, of Old Testament Judaism, of the Mosaic law. And if they did that, that's how they could be righteous. And so these people came in and created confusion. And so he writes this letter with that in mind. Now listen to what he says in chapter 3. You guys are very familiar with this. He says, Set your affection on things above and not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. That's good advice for the person that's confused. For the, for the person that doesn't know how to focus. For the person who can't make sense of the situation. It's great advice to say, get away and be silent before God. Set your affections on him. When we're trying to make sense of our situation, when we're, when we're trying to make sense of our situation, we always start the journey to truth by trusting God's voice above all the other voices. And worship is where we get our focus back, valuing Christ over everything and everyone else. It's when we focus that we're reminded that God is true and every man is a liar, right? But we don't tend to think that way when we're just like, oh, wait a second, wait, what? And we're, and we're living life that way, and we're just trying to make sense from all of the, the multiplicity of voices. When we try to make sense that way, we, it only just leads to greater confusion. But when we're silent before the Lord, we remember that God is the only true voice, and every man, you and me included, is really just a liar. And it's from this place of stillness before God that we can begin to make sense of our situations. It's from this place that we can begin our investigation. That leads us to the next point. We must investigate. So, so, so we must focus. Now we must investigate. And as Paul was, was to be, it says in verse 37, and as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto thee? Who, sa who said, canst thou speak Greek? Okay, so the, the captain's caught off guard here because he carries, he carries Paul away into this kind of quiet area. They're being followed. And then Paul suddenly speaks to him and, he, and he, he speaks to him in Greek, which was a surprise because in Jerusalem, most people would have been speaking Aramaic, right? That would have been the common language, and that's the way people would have been speaking. And so he's like, can't thou speak Greek? So his first question is, wait a second, can I, make, can I make sense of what I'm seeing here? See, he's beginning to investigate. Wait, that, that's strange. Now, so then he begins to make an inquiry, right? Because now he's making an assumption. He's, you're speaking Greek, okay? And you're speaking, it's, it's, we're led to believe that he's speaking with an accent that would lead the captain to think, well, this guy's not from Jerusalem, which he wasn't, was he? Right? He grew up in a, in a, in a Roman Greek culture. And so the guy's kind of confused. And he said, art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers. Okay, that's a, that's a weird historical twist, isn't it? Okay, so the chief captain had a first thought. He said, can you speak Greek? And then he, he, then he drew a conclusion based on that. And he, so he started to inquire. And he said, are you 
that Egyptian, now that Egyptian that he was referring to is historically, see, around this time, there were all kinds of insurrections against Rome. And it was common for people to raise up groups of ter- like terrorist organizations who would, who would come together, train, fix an ideology, sometimes a messianic ideology. Men would, would claim to be the risen Christ or to be the Messiah. They would make claims. And they would draw Jewish people to themselves and they would raise an insurrection up. And so this chief captain thought to himself, oh, I wonder if this, is the, the, this uproar and all this stuff is about the fact that this is that Egyptian who recently raised up 4,000 men in the wilderness as a terrorist. Like, maybe I just caught a terrorist. And so he asked him, are you that guy? And so the chief captain came to the table with presuppositions, didn't he? He had an idea in mind of who Paul was. He came to the table with presuppositions that were incorrect and derived from incomplete data. So rather than simply assuming he had the, that, that, that Paul had the answers he needed, he jumped to a conclusion. Ultimately, the chief captain knew he couldn't come to the right conclusion by seeking the opinions of the crowd, right? Like He wasn't going to get an answer there, so he pulls Paul away. And then he starts asking questions, and he draws some, some conclusions that were incorrect. And the chief captain knew that he, ha- he had to get Paul aside if he was going to be able to conduct a legitimate investigation. So that leads us to the next key point. There's a danger when we fail to investigate for truth. There's a danger when we fail to do the hard work of finding out what is and isn't true. Now listen to me. I, I don't want to call you fickle, but we all are, you know? And we all want the easiest solution. Because our lives, we want them to be comfortable and easy, and, and, and it's, it's hard for us sometimes to do the homework necessary to find out what is and isn't true. And so that makes us really susceptible to buying the lie. And so some of us, out of laziness, choose, choose the convenient truth over the actual truth. And what we need to do is investigate. We must investigate. Sometimes confusing and difficult things happen. And, you know, the best thing to do when those things happen is to just die to it. Like sometimes, okay, here's the deal. Sometimes you're going to get stabbed in the back or you're going to get misled or you're gonna, people are going to say confusing things or you're going to feel a confusing way. And the best thing you can do is just focus on God and worship and just die to it. Just forbear. Like that's the easiest thing to do. And if you can do that, I mean... The prescription in Scripture is to do that. Forbear. Okay. I trust God. And move forward in faith. But you know what? Sometimes that's a very difficult thing to do, right? And when, that, and when it is difficult and you, you don't have the answers that you need to move forward, you've got to settle those answers before God. See, sometimes hard situations demand a personal investigation. God never told you to turn off your brain, you understand? Just because you're a believer and you believe a foolish truth in the gospel doesn't mean you get to be one of these mindless, absent Christians who just believe whatever they're told. That whatever that guy on TV says, I mean, he's a pastor at all. I'll just, I guess that'll work. I mean, God never tells us to shut off our minds and just take the convenient truth. 
And so we've got to do our homework. And so then we ask ourselves, well, how do we do that homework? Okay, let me teach you. It's very simple. We're going to follow what we find here in Scripture. The very first thing is to, is to challenge. Challenge. Number one, challenge. And what I mean by that is don't be comfortable with presuppositions. See, the chief captain wasn't content with the crowd's thoughts or even what he thought. He had to know more. He had to know more. He had to ask questions. He, he had to figure out whether or not what he was hearing and what he was believing were, were, was accurate. In other words, what you think or feel is true might not actually be true. And if you're getting your information from third-party sources, from gossip or hearsay, that's dangerous, y'all. Like if what you believe about another person is based upon the words that you heard from another probably unreliable source, I mean, listen, let's just be real honest. In a group this large, you have opinions about people in this ministry that you got from somebody else. Dangerous. Dangerous. Or or just as serious, if not more, you've got pet doctrines or ideas that you've gotten from somewhere else or someone else, and you've never actually looked to see what Scripture says, and you just, okay, I guess that's true. Don't do that. Challenge your presuppositions. Assuming you understand without evidence is how we get deceived and how other people get hurt. 1 Timothy 6.3 says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. In other words, Be a man or woman of the truth. And what you read and what you listen to and what you say, are all they're all consequential. All those things are consequential. They have weight. They have merit. They have bearing. What you think and what you hear and what you say. It's important. And so they must be held up to scrutiny. So be willing to go beyond what you think in order to get what God thinks. Two, so we need to challenge and we need to consider. Consider. And what do I mean by consider? I mean we need to ask the right questions. See, the chief captain presented Paul with a line of questions in order to get at the answer to who he really was. That's what he needed to know. I need to know who this guy really is. And so he presents him with a series of questions. And many of us want to make sense of hard situations, but we're not willing to ask the right questions. We get hung up in our emotions or in our circumstances so we can't even begin to consider what, it, what is and isn't true. We have a hard time deciphering because we let our feels get all in the way. And we don't even know how to begin to ask questions. So when we come to God in prayer, we're silent before him. And we do a lot of complaining, but we don't do a lot of asking. And some of us are guilty of that. So we go before the Lord and we just complain at him and tell him all the ways in which you're confused or things are difficult or this trial or this temptation or this, this feeling or God, what do I, what do, I do? But, but you don't come to him inquiring what his truth for you is. Because it's not like he hasn't made it plain. You just haven't looked yet. And you need his spirit to guide you to a place of understanding this truth. 
And so when we ask God questions and we say, Lord, I don't understand such and such and such, what we're asking is, Lord, will you show me in, in, your, in your book what is and isn't true and how to apply it to my life? Does that make sense? The, wonderful, the most wonderful thing is that when human beings don't have the answers that we need, the word of God absolutely does. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That's a promise. And what he says is, well, if, you, if you call unto me, like, and the funny thing is, is we, we limit God so much, right, that we usually only inquire, like, really base and stupid, earthly, carnal things of God. You know what he says here? He says, call unto me, and I'll answer you. And I won't just answer you with your little problems, your little human problems. I'm going to show you great and mighty things. Let me show you truths that transcend your experience. Let me show you my divine nature. Let me show you about how I created all things and how I breathe life into you. Let me show you who I've crafted you to be. Let me show you all the mountaintops that I want you to take. Let me walk you through the desert places. Now, now this truth about, about God showing us when we, when we come to the table with our challenges, what that leads us to and reminds us of is that we have to be willing to hear the truth and find answers at the source. So for the chief captain, that source was Paul himself. I need answers, so I'm going to get it. This guy seems to be the one causing all the problems. He's the one that sits at the center of the situation. Let me pull him aside. And what we see here is that even though the chief captain doesn't draw any conclusions about Paul, over the next few chapters, the chief captain is responsible for making sure that we get at the bottom of the truth. He's the one guy, and throughout the narrative, over the next few chapters, he keeps popping up and making sure that Paul gets to where he needs to go so that the investigation can take place. In other words, he wants a conclusion. See, here's the beautiful thing about being a Christian, is that there is a conclusion. There is a conclusion to be derived. As we challenge and consider, ultimately, God's word provides that for us. Verse 39 says, And Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. So Paul asked the chief captain, look, let me speak. Let me speak up. Let me share. And like it would be super easy, based on what this chief captain's seeing, in the midst of all the chaos, to silence Paul's voice and withhold him. Wouldn't that be the easy thing to do? But see, the chief captain is so concerned with truth, he's well, uh, ready and willing to let the source of truth speak so that they can get a proper conclusion. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, we must remember their uh, saying. And so, okay, that's where the chapter ends, and it goes, and I won't go into the next chapter. We don't have time for that. But Paul basically stands in front of the people, and he starts to preach, okay? It's hotter than a biscuit in here. But here's the thing that we need to know before we get into Paul's sermon, okay? 
We must remember that there is a source for truth in our lives. And we've got to be willing to give God license to speak into every complex situation. Just the way the chief captain gives Paul, it says it gives him license to speak. We've got to give God license to speak into our situations. We've got to let, him, we've got to let his voice reign. So if we can't make sense of the situation, we've got to first focus, two, investigate, but three, we've got to side with truth. Key point number five, there is danger in drawing conclusions without the Bible. There's dangers in drawing conclusions without God's word. But we often do, don't we? Because we make presumptions. Or we get our advice somewhere else, and it seems to make sense, and it's if, if, hey, the piece, if the piece of the puzzle fits, then cool, I'm going to let it ride. Even if I had to force it in, let's just call it good and walk away. And we just do whatever is convenient instead of actually letting God, from his word, draw the right conclusion. See, it was the Bereans who set this example for us in Acts. Remember that? When Paul showed up in the town of Berea, uh, the people there, they weren't sure what to think of his strange message that he preached. And so they took some time to focus, right? Isn't that what they did? Think about the pattern here. They said, okay, Paul, thank you for sharing. But we need to go away for a while, and we need to focus. And then we need to investigate that we might come to a conclusion that's truth, that's, that's what God wants for us. That's what they did. Acts 17.11 says they were... They were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And here's the one thing I want to point out to you. One thing to know about the Bereans is that they studied together. Because you, with your Bible all isolated, alone, and figuring it out on your own, um, that's actually how heresy is born. That's, that's how you get misled, is because you could end up coming up with something that isn't tested against the tradition of our faith in Jesus Christ and, and comparing Scripture with Scripture, right? And so as, as a collective, your Bible study, your discipler, your, we should run our ideas past one another because when we study together, then we can come to, to true consensus over what God's Word says when we compare Scripture with Scripture, does that make sense? People come up with crazy stuff all the time. And, and, and the thing is that they came up with that alone somewhere. Or then they found some guru online that was just going to affirm or confirm what they, what they already believed. And they don't test it against the scrutiny of study together, which is what the Bereans did. There was accountability there. And they ended up drawing the right conclusion. They believed truth. <sighs> And so here, here's the final thing that I want to say. Is that when you make the conclusion, when you agree with God, the next thing is that we ought, to, we ought to be full of peace. We ought to come to a place of peace. We ought to come to a place of surrender. When we get the truth that we needed, we don't need to, we don't need to linger there. We don't need to loiter we don't need to bemoan what's happened. We need to own the truth and move forward in faith because that's what God wants. That's what he wants for us. 
I want to point out as we close that despite all the chaos that surrounded Paul, amidst all the accusations and failures that surrounded him, I want you to note that he was calm and composed and confident and ready to defend the truth. Like, to me, in my mind, it would be reasonable for Paul to be flipping out here. I mean, I've never been carried away by a mob. And I've, I've, I'll say I've never probably been beaten as bad as he was here. I've been beaten, but, but not as bad as probably Paul was here. And this is a serious deal, and he's got every reason in his flesh to be freaking out. To let his emotions take over. And yet we find a man that's, that's composed and confident and calm. In our lives, we often let our emotions control the way we speak. And we end up making problems worse than they already are. But for Paul, his heart was stayed on Christ. And when the trials and traumatic experiences came, Paul was in complete control of his body because he was in complete surrender to God. And I wonder how you respond when things are difficult. When people fail you. In moments of betrayal, when you're surrounded by mistruths, how do you respond? Do you have the the power to withstand despite your circumstances? Or do you panic? I mean, I know for a fact, some of you, you let your anxiety just come over you. And you panic and you lose control. Or you isolate, or you disappear, or you give up, or you turn away. See, we live in a world where mistruth reigns. It reigns. It's all around us. It's greater than it's ever been. The access to false teaching and false ideas and false feelings, they're just, it's just like it's, it's everywhere. I mean, being half crazy is like cool now. Like being, being like stuck in depression and anxiety, that's like, that's like stuff that people brag about. Or like the idea that we're like, I'm like, like searching for my truth. Or this is my truth. Like, it's absolute, it's like the wild west of ideas. Chaos reigns. And if we don't learn to get our truth from God's word, then we will be overtaken by the media, by public opinion, by false teachers, and our, and our feelings as well. And so we, above all people, who have an absolute trust that's inerrant, or an absolute uh, a faith or truth that's inerrant, ought to be steady as can be. Ought to be just like Paul. That's who we ought to be. And so, okay, let me, let me just point out to you, this was a super hard message for me, okay? It's complex, it's a weird story, it's transitional, right? There's like this moment in the book where it's like this weird thing happens, and then we get to hear Paul preach for a whole chapter, right? It's this weird moment, and I didn't know what to do with it. But I couldn't get away from the fact that, look, this is a young adult ministry, and we're not yet set in our ways, and we're still listening to people that we probably shouldn't be. And we're confused about things that we shouldn't be. And here's the deal. This is what I I beg of you. Is that when you're making decisions or you're trying to make sense of stuff, 
that you would allow yourself to do your homework at the feet of Jesus Christ. And that he would help you draw the right conclusions and that it would ultimately bring you the peace that you need in your life. And there's some of us today that aren't doing that. There's some of us today that are not following. Even this, this, this lost man knew the proper steps of figuring out what was and wasn't true. And we don't even, we don't even know how to do that. And so what I ask is, as we, as we conclude today, and as we'll have the worship team come up, and, and as we close out in worship, I would ask that, that if you know that you're dealing with trying to make sense of something, that you would come forward and meet with someone, meet with the leader, meet with the counselor, and talk about what the thing it is that's, that's, that you're struggling with, that gray area that you can't make sense of. Or, or maybe it's something, you know, maybe someone betrayed you. Or maybe someone was disloyal to you. And you need to make sense of that. Come meet with someone and lay that before the Lord. And figure out what he has to say. Does that make sense? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I'm going to ask the Lord that he'd help us. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we love you. And we, like, I, Lord, I have... I'm an absolute mess. Like, you know that. You've, you've seen my whole life. And you know that, that I'm just, just like the worst of them in terms of listening to my flesh and, 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 and buying truths or, or being, having my ears tickled or, or being drawn away or, or feeling anxious about things that I don't understand. I'm, I'm just like anybody else. I'm just like the worst of them. And so, Lord, I ask that you would teach me how to trust your word. You would teach me how to turn to you and to focus my attention and to silence the voices and and to listen for your voice, to challenge and to consider and to conclude in a way that's right before you. And that, Lord, I would live a life surrendered and full of peace, knowing, knowing that you have the truth for me that I need, that you will guide me that you are the good shepherd and you will lead me despite my circumstances. You have my best interest in mind. And, then I, and dis, despite the knife in my back, <laughs> that your word has the salve to heal every wound. And that you will make me whole and my foot will not slip and I will not be turned to the left or to the right. And I will pursue you in faith despite what's happened to me. Despite the way I feel in this moment. Despite the confusion, Lord, I can and will trust you. Help me, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, For service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.